0: I invite you back to John chapter 18, that passage that we read just earlier on. We have entitled the message tonight, A Faultless Saviour. A Faultless Saviour. Just let you unite our heart together. and we word a prayer as we come to the preaching of God's precious word tonight. Lord, we do thank Thee again uh, that we're found in Thy house this evening to worship and to praise Thee, our living God. We thank the Lord, for the child of God. We can say Thou art everything to us. Savior, sanctifier, and sovereign. And, O God, we praise the Lord, we can say, He is not a disappointment. And, O Father, we pray that others might realize it. And, O God, they might even taste and see that the Lord is good tonight. We pray, Lord, that I would be pleased to bless Thy Word as it goes forth, that may run and be glorified. Pray, Lord, that I would take away every distraction, every distracting thought, Those out the things of tomorrow, even this week. Pray, Lord, that thou would shut us in by thyself. God, we pray that thou would move in our midst by thy Spirit. Lord, we know tonight it's not by might, nor by power, but it's with my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And we pray that thou would take full control for even this remaining part of this service. And God, thou would bring us into this passage, into this text, Lord, that I would speak to each and every heart tonight. To that end, fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When Paul wrote to young Timothy, he urged him to be faithful as a young minister. And he did so using very specific words that we find in First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13. I quote, Before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. And men and women, that good confession is found in the passage that we have read together this evening. It was that Jesus Christ was king. It was that his kingdom was not like that of Pilate, for his kingdom was from heaven. And it was a kingdom of eternal truth in contrast to mere earthly power. And I'm sure you noticed the sarcastic note of Pilate in verse 37 where he asked, Art thou a king then? This one who had been captured, this one who had been delivered by his own people, the Jews, this one who was bound and standing before him in peril of his very life. And what's more, Pilate looked upon the Savior as a Jew persecuted by his own people, and it seemed that he was helpless, and it seemed that he was friendless. C.H. Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher of London who said this, it sounded like mockery to talk of the kingdom in connection with him. It sounded like mockery. But to that… The Lord replied that he had been born a king. And it was for that purpose that he had come, even for the sake of his kingdom. And he came that he might bear witness to the truth. It was in reply that was answered by Pilate cynically, and where he said, what is truth? And truth to him was merely soldiers. It was armies. Truth to him was Rome and its political power. But you know, it was a way in dismissing the subject before him, for he had learned what he needed to know. This man of Galilee represented no threat to him. There was no danger to his kingdom. There was no danger to his state. He could be safely released and indeed ought to be because of an accordance to the common justice of the land. But men and women, if you ever want to see a miscarriage of justice, the greatest miscarriage of justice that this world has ever seen and witnessed, then it is that of the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was taken and brought before the authorities. He was passed between Pilate and Herod and back again. And there was nothing in him that would warrant the demands of the crowd to crucify him. And tonight... We can do no better than as a prelude to coming to the Lord's Supper to consider the words of Pilate as he turned around to the crowd. Words that I believe amount to a faultless Savior as you find them at the end of verse 38 where he said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. I find in him No fault at all. Want you notice there the witness before the crowd? When we think upon these words that were spoken by Pontius Pilate, then we must say it was a witness, a witness that was considered when they brought the Lord. Before Pilate, he was found to be questioning him. He was searching to find something in the Lord that would connect the charges that were laid against him and leveled against him. Indeed, when Pilate used the word find there that we have in our little text, it could find no fault in him. The word has the meaning of examination. It has the meaning of scrutinizing, of observing. It really brings us into the courtroom. And the Saviors in the, in the witness box and Pilate is before him, and he's searching, he's scrutinizing, he's cross-examining the Savior. And he's doing so by his line of questionings to search and to find out any evidence which would link him to the accusation of the crowd. And having asked such questions as to whether he was the king of the Jews or not, as to whether he called himself a king or not. After such interrogation, Pilate was to give a considered response. I consider witness before the people. I find no fault in him at all. His witness amounts to that of a confession. He is standing before the Jews, he's standing before the Pharisees, he's standing before the chief priests the leaders, religious leaders of that day, and he was to make a confession unto them. Try as he may to find fault. Try as he did to pin wrong to this man, Jesus of Nazareth. He could not, and the accusations which were pointed at him proved to be false. He could only do one other thing, and that was to make such a confession. I find in him no fault at all. How could he do anything else? For there was no sin to be found in his nature. He wasn't born of man's nature. He was virgin born. Neither was there any guile to be found in his mouth. And neither was there any iniquity to be found even in his life. And having made such a confession, it was both to the shame of Pilate and to the shame of the Jews. To the shame of Pilate that after this he should still condemn him to death. To the shame of the Jews that after hearing such a full and a fair confession from the very judge, that they should still demand and cry out for his crucifixion. When Peter was to speak of the Savior's death in Acts, he was right to point the finger of blame in the direction of the Jews. If you turn over to Acts chapter 3, you will see what he said himself. In the words of verse 14 and 15, Acts chapter 3, he says, the God of Abram, verse 13, and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers had glorified His Son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let Him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead. Whereof we are witnesses. What's more, the witness that Pilate gave before the crowd was one which was consistent. Very interesting to notice that not once does he speak these words, but three times over. Three times over. You look into chapter nineteen, just where we are from below where we are tonight. As to reinforce what he had already said, he's to go out before the crowd again, and what? With the Lord following behind, he says exactly the same words. You look at the words of verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again, saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. And hearing the uproar of the crowd and their determination to crucify him, Pilate sought to wash his hands of the Lord. And again, he was to witness to the innocence of the Savior. He wanted no part in the death of such a just and an innocent man. His wife had warned him, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? If he was to be crucified, then it would be at their hands. He abhorred their action, but still he gave the authority to carry out the worst miscarriage of justice ever seen. Verse 6, When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. That's why Peter pointed the finger at the Jews in the day of Pentecost. He desired a murderer. He killed a just and a holy man. Men and women three times over, Pilate asserts the innocence of the Savior. Three times over, he declares they can find no fault in him. this is from the one who was the judge in the trial. It was a witness from the highest authority in the land. And yet the people still would not accept it as truth. I wonder tonight, what think ye Do you believe these words are true? Or I wonder are you still putting Christ afresh to the cross, crucifying Him afresh by rejecting His wonderful offer of salvation. I wonder, sinner, that you would be mindful. It was your sin that was placed, that placed the blessed Son of God on that tree. It was your iniquities and mine that drove in those nails into His hands and in His feet for His death was for no sin of his own. It was for the sin of his people. Look at him by the eye of faith tonight. And behold his sufferings. See if there be any sorrow like unto his sorrow. See him bleeding. See him dying as a guilty one. And I pray that you would look to Christ tonight by that eye of faith and realize what it cost the Holy One to bear away sin. Pilate bore this testimony, this witness, three times over. I find no fault in him at all. But you know, not only is there the witness before the crowd, but there's also the witness of the Scriptures. These words were not only spoken by Pilate. They were also affirmed in the biblical record. It was on that occasion of the Savior's baptism that by John the Baptist that we read the heavens were opened. And the Spirit of God was to descend like as a dove upon him. The voice from heaven of God the Father was heard to say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father was pleased, the Father approved of His only begotten and beloved Son. The Father could not have said those words that the Son was sinful. Sin displeases God, and it causes His face to be turned away. And you know, oftentimes we quote Isaiah chapter 59, at least we do in part, the first verse. And it's good that we do it in prayer. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot see, if neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But sometimes we omit to go on into verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not hear. God cannot look upon iniquity. And hence upon the cross of Calvary when the Savior had become sin who knew no sin, those words were immortalized for there was a darkness over all the land as the Father could not look upon his Son. But here at the River Jordan the Father affirms his pleasure in his Son who had taken upon himself the form of human flesh but yet he was sinless. God the Father Loved the Son, delighted in the Son. And the same affirmation, the same witness of this sinless character was to be heard at his baptism. But also on another occasion, that of the mountaintop, when the Lord was to be transfigured. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 17. That time, those three disciples were to receive a preview. Of what heaven will be like. We shall have those white garments. We shall know one another just as Peter was to know Moses and Elijah. And he called them by name even though they were of a different generation. He had never met them before. Yet while Peter was speaking. It was then that the father's voice again was to be heard affirming the perfection of his son. Verse 5. While he yet spake behold a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. It was something that Peter couldn't forget all his days. But when it came to him writing his epistle, he was to be carried back to that day. He made mention of it. Second Peter chapter 1, in the words of verse 17. It says, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter couldn't forget it. Peter writes it now many years later. He affirms, he testifies of being there that day on that holy mount. And he's heard the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Indeed, throughout his epistle, you will see Peter brings out the perfection of Christ many times over, he says, who did no sin. Chapter 2, verse 22 of the first Peter, neither was guile found in his mouth. Speaking of the Savior, Peter was to write in his first chapter, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot, he was that spotless Lamb chosen of God to leave the realms of glory, to come down to this earth, to offer himself as that spotless sacrifice for the sins of his people. And in the book of Hebrews, the same truth is revealed. And the contrast is drawn between the Old Testament priests and our great high priest. For we have a great high priest who became us, who's holy harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. And that sacrifice, men and women, must, had to be, had to be a perfect sacrifice if it was going to be sufficient to save a lost people. And that perfect sacrifice is typified back in the Old Testament. Hebrews brings you right back into the Old Testament time. And it is typified there in those offerings. Can I show it to you? If you come back into the book of Leviticus, in the opening chapters of Leviticus, you will know that there will be uh, those different offerings that were brought. I'm just bringing you to the first chapter and the first offering. It is called the burnt offering. And the children of Israel were to bring their offering even for the burnt offering, for the rich, verse three, they could bring the bullock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a meal without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of a congregation before the Lord. For the those that were poorer, you look at verse ten, they could bring an offering of the sheep or of the goats for a burnt sacrifice. And for the poorest of all, they weren't excluded because they could bring two doves or two young pigeons. Verse 14, And if the burnt sacrifice for this offering to the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. That is interesting because when you get to uh, the gospel of Luke, you read that Mary and Joseph brought the pigeons when the Lord was to be consecrated eight days old. You see, they were of the poorest of all. And doesn't it remind us, men and women, no matter what state you are financially, the rich and the poor are welcome to Christ. The gospel, His salvation, is without money or price. The rich need to get to the Lord, and the poor are free to go to the Lord. It's without money or price. But I want you to note before you leave Leviticus, that not only does those offerings speak of Christ and His once-for-all sacrifice to appease God's wrath for sin. And thank God is a more perfect sacrifice. How do I know? Because Hebrews 9 and verse 12 tells me, it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It's not the blood of bulls and calves or of goats. But I want you to notice that the offering brought in Leviticus had to be pure. Verse 3, we read it. Let him offer a meal without blemish. You see it again in verse 10. He shall bring a meal without blemish. The one who would pay the punishment for our sins and appease God and make reconciliation for sinners would be a man in his prime. And he would be without sin. He would be without blemish. He had to be perfect if he was going to die for our sins. There are many other scripture references which we could give. But they all serve to bear witness to that same truth, those same words that Pilate was to say this day. I find no fault in him at all. And it was because of that very fact that the blessed Son of God could lay down his life for a sinner like you and me. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin, he only could unlock the gate of heaven. And let us in. It was because that he had no sin of his own. That the Lord Jesus Christ was a sacrifice. Acceptable to God's just and holy law. To bear away the sins of guilty hell deserving sinners. And wretches like we. And there on the cross. He was to willingly spread forth his hands. To receive those nails. And he was to endure the sufferings. And the agony. And the shame. So that we might be saved. What a mystery. That the sinless and the perfect Savior should become sin. And He did so because He knew He was redeeming, He was saving a people unto Himself. Let me ask tonight before I go any further, I wonder have you come to know the cleansing power that there is to be found in the Savior's blood? Do you know your sins washed away by faith tonight? Have you accepted what the perfect Savior has accomplished on that cross for a sinner like you? If you haven't, then listen to the words of Pilate. Yeah, listen to the words of God the Father in heaven. Listen to the witness of holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, who gave us the epistles in the New Testament, who gave us the prophets' books and the Old Testament scriptures. And their echo and their witness is the very same. They have a unified cry tonight. I find in Him no fault at all. Is that where you are tonight? Can you join in that chorus? You see, I have one other witness to bring into the dock tonight. And that's a witness of the saint. If you will not accept the words Of this judge who put on the trial. If you will not accept the words of God the Father. Who spoke these words from heaven. If you will not accept all the other witnesses. That we have sought to bring before you. And accept the witness of every saint of God. As we bring them into the witness box. There are those in this meeting tonight. And they've been saved by God's wondrous grace. witness and their testimony is, I find in him no fault at all. This preacher can join in that same chorus and in the same sentiments. And happily we can say, he doeth all things well. We can say in the words of Isaiah, we have one who has not failed, he never will fail. He is the Lord of glory who will never let down His people. And the closer we are to Him, then the more we see His perfection and His beauty and His glory. Can I show you it? You come with me to the Song of Solomon. Just after the book of Ecclesiastes, you come to chapter 5. And in chapter five, the daughters of Jerusalem were to ask the Shilamite girl, "What is thy beloved more than in another beloved?" In other words, they wanted to know, "What's so special about this man? Why are you so so distraught when you couldn't find him? What's so different about him?" And what follows are words which describe her beloved? And I draw your attention to words, verse 10, just to give you a sample. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. Do you ever consider those words? I'm sure you've read them before. She says, my w- beloved is white and ruddy. There's two aspects there. White Speaks of holiness, purity, sinlessness. Roddy, that brings us to redemption. It brings us to the cross where he shed his precious blood. And she says the chiefest among 10,000. That's what my beloved is. She in effect was saying, if there were 10,000 before me, then my beloved would be the fairest of them all. There would be none who would compare. And she brings her words to an end after some verses by saying, his mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. O ye daughters of Jerusalem, every believer can say amen to those words. There is no blemish in him. I can find no fault in him at all. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. But tell me tonight, is that your testimony? Is the Lord Jesus Christ altogether lovely in your eyes? Or maybe he is just still a curse word to you? Precious Banner was a Scottish divine. You might have heard of his brother, maybe Andrew Banner. He's a Scottish divine of a past generation. He told the story, told the story of two men travelling together in a railway carriage. Their conversation was of a spiritual nature. And one of them was a refreshed skeptic And he was using various evils and blights of Christendom as an excuse for his unbelief. And he spoke of the scandals, and he spoke of the sins, and he spoke of the divisions that were found in the professing church. There happened to be a believer, a Christian, a child of God just opposite him. And he heard it all. And he knew the accusations to be true. He couldn't defend them indeed. He just dropped his head, as it were, in shame. But through time, he was brought into that conversation. And he looked and he said to the skeptic, He said, I am a Christian. And he said, I love the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. He says, Not a word. Shall I offer in defense of what you've just said? Not a word. But he said, I solemnly challenge you to say the first word against the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the skeptic turned around and he said, Well, well, well no, well, no I, can't, I can't do that. I, I, I couldn't say anything against him. He, he was perfect. And that child of God went on to say, Just so. And therefore my heart was attracted to Him. And the more that I looked, the more I find myself to be a poor, guilty, sinful man, and all the evil of the professing followers of Christ cannot turn me away from Him. What about you, my friend? Are you looking out at what other believing, professing believers are doing sometimes? Are you listening to the scandals and the sins and all of the rest? Is that the reason why you will not come tonight? The challenge goes out to you. Is there one thing that you can find in Christ to be a fault? The Savior in whom you will find if you turn in repentance of your sin. You'll find there's no fault in Him. There's no fault in His person. There's no fault in His power. He's able to save to the uttermost all that come unto Him. There's no fault in His pardon. For He pardons all our sin and all our iniquity. Why? Because He shed His own precious blood on that middle cross of Calvary. There's no fault in His position at God's right hand tonight. He's alive forevermore. He's a glorified, reigning Savior. He is one who's coming again, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no fault in any of His promises tonight. His promises are yea and amen. Amen. His word is sure. There's no fault in everything about Christ tonight. Will you not take him as your Savior? Be saved. Will you not grow to know him and love him more every day? And the closer he becomes to you, then the more of his beauty will be reflected in your life. Take him tonight as your beloved. Take him tonight as your friend, the way the Shulamite could speak of her beloved. And you'll be able to say, I find no fault in him at all. That's our witness, you see. That's the witness of the child of God tonight as an obedience to his command. Just in a moment or two, we desire to remember his death till he comes. Because he is the faultless Savior. And he is the Savior, the only Savior that I present to you again this evening in the Gospel. And the only one who can save. May the Lord be pleased to write his word, even on each and every heart tonight, that you might take that text home with you. If you will not come now, that text might burn into your heart where Pilate said, I find in him no fault at all. Let's sing in closing number seven, number seven in our hymn book, verse, uh, page 177. We'll just sing the three verses. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Let's sing it. As unto the Lord that stands we do so. Number seven, please. people just remain in your seat as others will leave at this juncture and I go to the door. Maybe you're not saved tonight, you're troubled. I'll gladly speak with you. I'll gladly meet with you. And we'll open up the scriptures and point you to Christ. Don't leave until you have this testimony. I find no fault in him at all. Father and our God, we do thank Thee. For thy wonderful redemption. We thank the Lord for the gift of thy dear Son. Who came that he might offer that atoning sacrifice on the cross. We can say tonight, praise the Lord. Oh, we thank the Lord tonight the work is finished. We thank the Lord even old Pilate had to say, I find in him no fault at all. Lord, we pray that that might be the best testimony of even unsaved one tonight. They might come by faith. They might, Lord, look away by faith to the one who was to bear our sin away in his own body on the tree. We pray, Lord, that this might be a night of thy salvation. Bless those that uh, will depart at this time. Go before them. Speak on, Lord, even when the preacher's voice is silent. And bless us, Lord, as we further wait around thy table. O God, may it be a sweet time of fellowship. May we taste again and See, the Lord is good. Do us good, we pray. For we ask these mercies in our Savior's name. Amen.